Iowa's Newsworthy Past is a project imagined and curated by me, Kristen Noonan, a newly minted librarian. With help from Rod Library at the University of Northern Iowa, I come through an encyclopedic, handy-dandy, Iowa Historical Newspaper Library Guide to select stories and record myself reading them out loud all in my basement. The music you're listening to right now is by Iowa City's Blake Shaw, and the music you're about to notice in the background is by Memphis resident Brendan Lee Spengler. Tune in and out as your time allows, and please enjoy your totally free, no strings attached, last from the past. It's another day, and I'm glad you're here. Welcome to February 6th on Iowa's Newsworthy Past. We will be in Winterset, Iowa. Let us turn our attentions to the Winterset Madisonian newspaper on February 6th, 1879. I'm your host, Kristen Noonan. It's a pleasure to be your guide today. Let's roll. Temperance Column, Vice More Than Disease. Mr. Joseph Cook made in Temperance the topic of his prelude and his last lecture at Association Hall, and what he said is worth being read everywhere. He took issue with some prevalent notions and talked as he always does, like a man who knew what he was talking about. He said, 1. So far as drunkenness is a vice, it is to be reformed, and the treatment of it belongs to the church. 2. So far as drunkenness is a disease, it is to be cured, and the treatment of it belongs to the physician. 3. But the theory that all or most of habitual drunkenness is a disease is not supported by the best physiological authorities, however loudly it may have been endorsed by proprietors of inebriate asylums. The theory that drunkenness is oftener a disease than a vice is going out of fashion among experts. Dr. Bucknell, recently a foremost visitor of lunatics in Great Britain and a fellow of the Royal College of Physicians, has lately made a vehement attack on that theory. Eight or ten years ago, inebriate asylum in the United States were held up as models to Great Britain. Mr. Dolly Rapel of Parliament took American testimony, which was supposed to prove that 34% of the patients treated in our inebriate asylums were cured. Dr. Bucknell came to this country in 1875, when the wave of popular excitement concerning inebriate asylums had subsided to a large extent, and his book is intended to discredit theory that habitual drunkenness is usually a disease. The attack is from the highest authority. This volume, from a great specialist in nervous disease, is a vigorous proclamation of the theory that habitual drunkenness in most cases is a vice to be reformed by moral measure rather than a disease to be cured. 
Dr. Bucknell thinks practical Christianity is the best remedy for habitual drunkenness. The Binghamton Inebriate Asylum, at one time quite a prominent figure in the public eye, was not long ago put on trial for a year and told to its face by the New York legislature that unless it managed its affairs better, it would be suspended at the end of that period of probation. Pennsylvania found her inebriate asylum at media so badly managed that she abolished it. At Ward's Island near New York, there was lately abolished an inebriate asylum at which a prominent physician from the city hospital, according to Dr. Bucknell's testimony, once found five patients able to offer him a choice of spirits in their own rooms. The asylum was on an island, but the boatmen from New York understood signals from the windows. At Binghamton, liquor could be obtained by a half hour's walk in almost any direction. I am not assailing without qualification inebriate asylums, for I believe there is a percentage of cases that should be treated in such establishments, but it is a smaller percentage than the self-interest and avarice of some of the managers of private asylums, both in the United States and Great Britain, having often proclaimed it to be. A real case of insane drunkenness or dipsomania is accompanied by signs which expert physicians can usually read. Curiosity is often one of them, heredity is another, and when both these mark a case, drunkenness is no doubt doubtedly called a disease rather than a vice. Seven cases out of ten of habitual drunkenness, however, our best experts tell us are vice and not disease. If all vehement craving for drink is disease, then a keg of firewater may convert a group of savages into madmen before they have tested it. The power of the pledge shows that in most cases drunkenness is a vice and not a disease. 4. So far as drunkenness as a vice leads to drunkenness as a disease, the church, under the modern training of theological students, is likely to know better than ever before how to emphasize the truth of science for the warning of the middle-aged and young. Forbes Winslow, the celebrated English physician for the insane, once told a committee of parliament that he could dip out of the brain of any habitual drunkard a fluid so full of alcohol that when put in a spoon and a lamp placed beneath it, the liquid would burn with a blue flame. Perhaps the two most important physical circumstances that can be pointed out in relation to alcohol are that it hardens all the colloid or glue-like substance in the body, and that it has a local affinity for the brain. Alcohol hardens the white of an egg. The brain and much of the matter in the nervous system is albuminous in chemical composition as the white of an egg is, and as alcohol everywhere else hardens colloid substances, so it does in the brain. The blue flame which Forbes Winslow kindled shows the affinity of alcohol for the brain 
and should be kept burning as a pillar of fire before tempted men. There is a famous saying of Hearly, quoted lately in the Scientific American, that he could tell in the dark whether the whether he was dissecting a drunkard's brain or the brain of a temperate man. Man, for the former, would be hard under the scalpel. He used to explain to his pupils that the only way to obtain good brains for dissection was to harden then them with alcohol or to get brains that had been hardened before death. Continued next week. And now from the Winterset Madisonian newspaper on February 6, 1902. Public sales. W.F. Leach and J.W. McKibben will hold a joint closing out sale at the old Philbrick Farm, seven miles west of Winterset and five miles southeast of Pitzer on Tuesday, February 18th. Sale consists of horses, cattle, hogs, hay, corn, and farm implements. Arch Whites will hold a public sale at the George White Farm in Webster Township on Thursday, February 13th. Sale consists of cattle, horses, hogs, grain, hay, and farm machinery. Usual terms. James McCarthy will hold a closing out sale at farm one and a quarter miles north of Maxburg on Thursday, February 20th. Sale consists of 67 head short horn cattle, horses, hay, grain, and farm implements. Usual terms. T.R. Walker will hold a public sale on the old Kip Farm seven miles west of Winterset on the Bluffs Road on Wednesday, February 12th. Sale consists of hogs, horses, grain, hay, farm implements, and household goods. Van Hayette will sell at his farm nine miles southeast of Winterset, one and a half miles northeast of Peru, on Monday, February 10th. 45 head of cattle, 5 head of horses, 30 head of hogs. Usual terms. Want a white Australia. Plan adopted in Queensland for the deportation of Polynesians. The movement to make a white Australia is not receiving such general approval as the Chinese exclusion has in this country. But it is nonetheless certain that yellow and brown labor must go from England's colony. The bill now being discussed in the Commonwealth Parliament permits the introduction into Queensland, the state most affected by the measure, for it is there that sugar is grown. During 1902, of 75% of the number of islanders, Polynesians, who returned to their homes during the present year, in 1903, only 50% may return, and by 1906, there will be none in the colony, for by that year, all will have been sent back to their island homes. Whether or not they hold property or can pass the education test, says the New York the experience 
on which great sums of money have already been spent if it becomes necessary to rely solely on expensive and incompetent labor. Premier Barton's idea, however, is that by a system of import duties and bounties, the sugar industry may be so protected that the loss of cheap and efficient labor will not harm it. The County and City At 7.30 this evening, the marriage of Walter Huston and Miss Maud Wilson will take place at the bride's home in Webster Township. The bride is the oldest daughter of Supervisor Wilson and one of the successful teachers of Madison County. The groom is a brother of Clerk R. L. Huston of this city. A full stock of homegrown fruit trees ready for next spring's planting. My nursery covers less acres that, than some others, but the trees can be relied on as true to name, vigorous and healthy. They are better trees than any others you can get at the old place, W.H. Lewis. Wallace and Vance sell 200 head of stock on February 12th on the Wallace Farm in Adair County, 10 head of registered shorthorn cattle, 23 head of good native bred young horses, 130 good cattle. Would like to see some of our Madison County friends at this sale. H.B. Jones, a former Winterset boy, visited in the city last week, returning to Davenport Friday, where he is engaged in the real estate and loan business. His brother, R.T., who has been conducting a general store at Arbor Hill, accompanied him for a short visit. George Mueller of Jefferson Township received notice last week of his election to the principalship of the Stewart High School and left for that place Saturday. Miss Winecoop of Madison Township will teach the remainder of his term at Jefferson Center. The bricklayers have finished building occupied by Minturn and Stillman. The East Room owned by L. Hoke is to be fitted up for a storeroom. Minturn and Stillman will continue to occupy the West Room. A musical treat is in store for those who attend the violin concert given by Matt Libis and Whistling Johnson at Clark's Opera House next Monday night. You can't afford to have your letters go astray when you can get 250 best quality envelopes with return printed for $1 at the Madisonian office. An article relating to the plan of the Farmers Mutual Telephone Company reached this office too late to appear in type this week. E.E. E. McCall sells one-half more farms than any other agent. If you want to sell your farm, list it with him at once. Married at the Christian Parsonage Wednesday noon, February 5, 1902 by Reverend L. E. Follensby, Willis B. Kilgray of Monroe Township, and Miss Mary E. Shearer of Webster Township. They will make their home at Lorimer, Iowa. Ira Walker of Lee Township has rented his farm to his son and will move to town. 
He has purchased the Joe Groves property in the southwest part of town. Anyone who desires to go to South Dakota to look for land can make rates any day with I.N. Dickerson of this city. No need to wait for excursions. Ben Sprinkle, who has been the head of clerk at the Fair Grocery Store for the past eight years, has accepted a similar position in George Duff's Grocery and began work there last Saturday. What is the use in employing someone to do your dyeing for you? If you use Putin fadeless dyes, you can do it just as well as a professional. Sold by S.E. Catterlin's Pharmacy, 10 cents per package. Marshall J.H. Kirby, who has been suffering for two or three weeks with the rheumatism, with alternate improvement and relapse, is again reported in rather worse conditions this morning. It is to be sincerely hoped that he will soon recover. That's it for February 6th on Iowa's Newsworthy Past. Thanks for tuning in. Hey there, thanks for listening. Hey, if you liked your ride, remember that you can follow me on Instagram at Iowa's Newsworthy Past. If you didn't like your ride, well, maybe you will tomorrow. Boy, did, 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 boy,